Welcome to One Does Not Simply, where three friends take on the Lord of the Rings and go on some unexpected journeys. I'm Wanda. I'm Navia. And I'm Ashani. And this is episode 38, One Does Not Simply Check the Lore. As always, there will be some spoilers for the entire Tolkienverse. With that said, let's get into it. Welcome back, dear listeners, to the very last book in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. We are on the first chapter of book six of Return of the King. And in this chapter, we start off with Sam coming to his senses after the orcs have taken Frodo into their fortress. And this chapter is essentially how Sam finds Frodo, uh, basically lucks his way into the fortress and also into rescuing Frodo. And Frodo reclaims the ring and they set back out on their journey. For being a relatively action-heavy chapter in that um, orcs are fighting each other, at one point Sam is fighting an orc, uh, oh gosh, well, now there's going to be now you've gone and done it. Noise in the, uh, now I've gone and done it. Most of the action in this in this chapter is about stairs. I feel like in every every second page was just like he opened the door and then there were some more stairs. It really wasn't necessary. I mean, it is it is a very vertical tower. It's just like <laughs> how many more stairs can you fucking put in here? It really felt like it really felt like Tolkien was phoning it in with this one. He was like, oh, I just need to need to make this book a little bit longer. <laughs> I think there there is like part of the issue with this chapter is that if you think about when you, if you like you were reading these books, you know, as they were coming out and you the chapter opens with like Sam like slamming himself against this door and yeah. and there's been like a whole book without Frodo and Sam and so you have to like somehow go back and think about like wait, where where is this? Where what was he doing? And then you like remember that Frodo was captured and everything. I feel like if these chapters had been, you know, interspliced in the way that in my opinion they so obviously should be, <laughs> uh then we wouldn't we wouldn't have so much of an issue, but it's just like wild that we just like we're like, "Oh, let's finish all of the other characters arc and then we'll come back and like rewind just it's like that scene in the emperor's new groove where he's like well you're probably wondering how i got here (laughs) yeah is that the source of the you're probably wondering how i ended up in this situation meme yeah yeah yeah. no it's like the freeze frame it can't possibly be this i'm pretty sure it's always sunny in philadelphia is the one that became the meme but it does happen and i think it happens independently and it possibly happened earlier in the emperor's new groove wow i'm pretty sure that's the origin is it i don't think it's like the record scratch with the freeze frame and it's like yep that's me you're probably wondering how i got in this situation and now i've got a i'm googling this i'm pretty sure it's origin Where did this originate? Tell me, Reddit. That really is what the beginning of this chapter feels like, though. Uh, Sam is like, well, I'm probably ha- wondering how I ended up in this situation. And the answer is I threw myself against a door, which they don't depict in the movies because it would look ridiculous. <laughs> Have I lost my friends because you guys are both Googling the origin of the game? <laughs> yes! I really must know yes. now. So I guess it's just like a thing that happens in a lot of movies. Yeah. So maybe there's no one set origin. Having said that, I will, I want to circle back to your point and maybe I'll cut this bit out because I don't know that that was great content while poor Wanda's trying to make something happen. Both of us are just frantically Googling. But my counterpoint to, you're right that I think it makes sense to say, like, why wouldn't we tell this story in some sort of like link the characters and the storylines in order? But I think the reason why is because Tolkien was like, you know what creates dramatic tension is having to wait. Because I really think if you put all those chapters with Sam and Frodo together, you'd be like, literally Frodo just got captured and like 15 pages later, he's been rescued again. Yeah, it's true. true. Although that was a whole book ago. Yeah. So that's the thing is now it's a whole book ago because we had to slap book five in there. No, but I mean, like either way, right? Like that's at the end of Two Towers and then you're waiting until Return of the King comes out to know what happened. Yeah, I guess. 
but then it's like you literally just lost, left them and the answer to, well, what happens with Frodo? How does he get rescued is uh, pretty much immediately and with not that much effort. Right. All the orcs kill each other. Yeah. Maybe they could have done like, maybe my they, I mean, Tolkien could have done like twice as many books. So it wasn't, they didn't go quite so long. <laughs> be a little manic though or we could have got like we could have gone like you know one mary chapter one pippin chapter then come back to frodo and sam right yeah yeah this is all so interesting <laughs> i can't tell if you're being sarcastic oh she's definitely being sarcastic this is gonna be what we call a friendship heavy episode <laughs> where the selling point is that we are charming and like each other and not that we have anything interesting to say. You guys want to talk about how I went to an alumni reunion yesterday? An alumni reunion, kind of like Frodo and Sam at the end <laughs> of this chapter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Okay, so I have a question. Uh, I, like, Can I just ask a logistical question to you guys? Yes. Because I'm confused about this. So Sam mentions like several times when he's trying to figure out what to do and he's so he's got the ring right and he's like put it on a couple times just to see how it feels i guess um, <laughs> this chapter is so horny <laughs> but it's just like he mentioned several times he's like if i take one step into mordor yeah like that i'm i can't come back and then it's and then a couple times they mentioned they're like now they're leaving mordor what the heck is the boundary of mordor Whoa, I totally missed when they leave Mordor. When do they leave Mordor? I don't think they do leave Mordor. I think they leave the fortress. Right, which is Kirith Ungol. Yeah, but at the when they leave like the area that the Watchers are. That's the fortress. No, that's 100% still solid gold Mordor. Please hold. <laughs> yeah, so okay, so he says, At length they came to the door upon the outer court and they halted. Even from where they stood, they felt the malice of the Watchers beating on them. Black silent shapes on either side of the gate through which the glare of Mordor dimly showed. Yeah. Yeah, basically he's using Mordor in place of, like, the yard. Yeah, well, it's like, okay, okay I'm in the fortress, right? And I can see out from the okay, fortress. So it's like just, like, the Disneyland, rest of Mordor. right? Like, yeah, exactly. Right. Got it. Yeah. No, 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 I, 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 get, I, I feel you. It's like, especially at the beginning when Sam is, like, retracing his steps a little bit. And then yeah, I thought, I thought this the whole tower. thing was in Mordor. It is. But it's not because Sam like specifically says that he's like where where did he go? Uh like Nowhere. like like but like before he went back into the tower, like between the time yeah. that Frodo was captured and when he went into the tower. Dude, yeah, so he's like banging know. himself against this against this door, right? Where, right? where is that door at the beginning of the chapter? This whole episode is just answering common questions. <laughs> just, I mean, this is very confusing. The way that it ends is the orcs take Frodo through some tunnels, right? They've, like, mm -hmm. found alternative tunnels. And this is the past. This is all, like, in the mountains. Yeah. And they take some tunnels to the door that gets them to the fortress. And that's where Sam... So he's, like, on the border at that point. On the border. He's on the border. Yes. Um, Literally the border. And so, like... He whacks himself into the door, but he's still, like, in the mountains that ring Mordor. It's the door to Mordor. <laughs> it's the door on the Bordor. Yeah. So, I mean, like, he's, like, right on the cusp of it. I don't know right. that there's a clear boundary line. Like, I don't think this is, like, the Norway-Sweden border where they have cute signposts being, like, oh, okay, I can take a photo halfway in Mordor and halfway out. Like... I, I guess I was just confused because I like I thought once they were you know in Shelob's lair and everything that like that was pretty clearly already Mordor, but I guess it's not. It's the mountain range, right? Like so, yeah. Mordor is I think bounded by some mountains, and so Shelob's lair is like in the mountains, right? Yeah, he's he's just trying to make such a big point of it, right? Like there's literally a line that says, "At once the road turned left and plunged steeply down. Sam had crossed into Mordor." I'm yeah. like. Why are you trying to make such a big point of this? Like, I feel like he wants us to understand this boundary, but also yeah, it's very yeah. confusing. I guess it's meant to be like a point of no return, as you as you mentioned. Yeah. There's something there about like Sam thinking that if he goes further, he won't be able to return, which to me was less about the geographical importance and more about the metaphorical importance of like 
carrying the ring into Mordor, there's no way you can kind of take back those experiences. And mm-hmm. the fact that when when Sam puts on the ring for the first time, it's sort of right before he crosses into Mordor proper. He's still in that liminal mountain pass space. And then he mm-hmm. goes into Mordor and he thinks about putting on the ring again. But immediately he's like, no, the vibe would be completely different now because I'm within like video games. <laughs> the vibes are off. Video game style. It's yeah. like I'm, I'm now with, yeah, the vibes are off. I'm like within Sauron's range of view. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting. Like it goes into that and it says that he can perceive uh, the ring now weighing on him and like making him bigger. Like he is now um, somehow encloaked in this extrapolation of the ring's power. He feels like way more powerful. Yeah. One thing we also got in that part was that like, I think we always ask this question of like, why can't Sauron find the ring when they're so close, right? Like, isn't that the whole thing yeah. that calls to him and everything? Mm-hmm. And they actually, he does mention that the ring like is deliberately, like one of its powers is to hide itself, I guess. And that was intended for Sauron to wield that power of like, no one can find this thing, but now he can't find it. So, whoops. But he, but it's close enough that he knows. Do, do you think that he? Do you think that he knows that it's close by? Yeah, I think he can like sense it, but he doesn't. He can't like zoom in and find it. Like it, right. it's not yeah. a GPS locator, right? Which really underscores the importance <laughs> of what Aragorn and company are doing right now, because otherwise, literally all of his attention would be on finding the ring. Yeah, because in when Aragorn is at the gate, the orcs don't know that like Aragorn and company don't have the ring right because they yeah. didn't know that Frodo had it they're just like we just found a hobbit yeah mm-hmm. that's what that's like why Aragorn's hand is so strong at that point because yeah from like from Sauron's perspective there's a million reasons why Aragorn might have the ring and like zero reasons why the ring would be hanging out next to yeah. Shelob's lair yeah and all he knows that it is like it's within a 10 mile radius <laughs> like yeah yeah it's weird that like they didn't go in and like kill Shelob at any point, but they, I mean, the orcs, because doesn't it seem like a plausible strategy or a plausible explanation that Shelob had taken the ring. They don't know that anyone has the ring, though. Right, but they have Frodo. Like they have Frodo captive and alive for a reason. They think that he's like somehow important, but they have not covered their bases. Do you think the orcs know like what the strategy is, or that Sauron has just told them if you find a Hobbit, like bring him to me? I think some of them are smart enough to figure it out and not, but that's not true of everybody because some of the orcs we met in two towers definitely seemed like they had made at least an educated guess about why they thought Sauron wanted hobbits specifically, but not everybody. Right. So like maybe Shagrat and his buddy who Gorbag his buddy that he straight up <laughs> kills. In yes, the and the buddy that he's, he straight up shanks. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know that they necessarily figured it out because the thing that they cared about was the mithril, right? Like, that's what Shagrat goes to all that effort to escape with is probably Frodo's mithril shirt, which is why it ends up with the mouth of Sauron in the previous chapters. Yeah. Although, even if Shagrat knew that the ring was like involved at all like that's not something he can keep right that's not like a treasure that he can keep for himself he basically has yeah. to give it to Sauron whereas the mithril like Sauron will probably let him hang on to right mm-hmm. and we can't take for granted the fact that Sauron has figured out that whenever hobbits are around they probably are acquainted with Aragorn in some way yeah right I mean he might genuinely just want them as leverage all this leads back to my question of, like, why did they not do their due diligence in checking to see if Shelob maybe had the ring? <laughs> Probably because they didn't think they had the capacity. Yeah. Like, they're definitely, they're scared of Shelob, right? Like, yeah. Right. I mean, or at the very least, they're like, she knows this, like, these tunnels best, and she has traps in place right. of some kind. And do we really want to tangle with a giant fucking spider in her own lair? And the answer is not. We're not getting paid. I mean, like quite literally, right? They're not getting paid. A spider that has the ring. 
I'm just kind yeah, of like correct. imagining for some reason like how Shelob would put the ring on with like, like the eight legs. <laughs> yeah, just put it on one of her I'm little hairs. Like... <laughs> Shelob with the ring, queen. <laughs> Maybe she does like the crab in Moana, and she just like slaps it to her skin with some spider web. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that maybe Sauron just considers that if Shelob gets the ring, it's sort of a wash. Like not gonna be able to put it on. No real ambitions. Like useless to someone without fingers. <laughs> right. Like like I don't know if you guys like ever do this, but like sometimes I'll like lose something in my house and I'll be like I'll look around for it and I can't find it and I'm like, uh, eh, it's somewhere inside the house. And so like I'll like just figure it out later. For sure. Yes. So Sauron's trying to take care of the threats outside. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like the idea of him like housekeeping in that way. <laughs> Just, yeah. the, the, it's within the bounds of Mordor. I'll find it eventually. Yeah, it'll turn up. I've slaughtered everyone Sauron. on Earth. Now I just have to go find my ring. <laughs> but first, a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Sauron yeah. takes a little nappy this is, poo. This is really peak content. <laughs> Look, we're doing our best. We've got to stretch it. Nobody was ever supposed to listen to this. I'll say one thing that I like about this chapter, uh, since mm-hmm. we apparently don't like this chapter very much. Uh, one thing that I like is I actually kind of like getting to see Sam without Frodo for a while mm. because he's clearly like pretty yeah. competent and not dumb. Like he can stand on his own. Yeah, he thinks through like a pretty good strategy of like how he's going to do this, and even once he's with Frodo again, like he thinks like about you know how they're going to disguise themselves as orcs, like how it's, you know, he goes and finds the right size of clothes and all this stuff. And he even thinks about like, oh, I like Gorbag's clothes would have fit better. But like, given that he's probably in bad favor right now, like, let's not take his. And I kind of like that we get to see the side of him that's not like the simple and bumbling gardener manservant where he's like kind of in charge and I think (laughs) in a weird way, it was like kind of good for him to have a break from Frodo. Uh, to, to step into his own. He's like, I need some space. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were on a break. <laughs> when you're low-key relieved that your master gets kidnapped. <laughs> but I also feel like it's really clear in this chapter that like Sam is is the protagonist of this story. I don't know. Maybe I don't know if you guys feel that way, but I feel that on this reread of this, I, I'm feeling that he is. He and Mary and Pippin are actually like the main characters. I would say all four hobbits, but I don't disagree with you. Yeah, although I think we've ne- we haven't gotten any point any chapters from Frodo's point of view, right? Mm, Frodo's point of view. You know, that's actually a good question. I don't know that we have. You're right. Yeah, I don't. I think he's the only Hobbit that we haven't gotten like. Not necessarily. A a, we haven't into. gotten like a whole chapter. Yeah, mm-hmm. like we get we get like his actions and like he talks and we get to see that, yeah. but like. Actually, like the, the the like two pages in this chapter where we do get it from Frodo's perspective, feel very mm-hmm. jarring because usually you're not alone with Frodo. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I also wonder if that's like intentional in the sense that like we don't really know who Frodo is without the ring at this point. Yeah, yeah. Although you never you don't really know who any of them are without the ring, right? Like the ring is just kind of there, and I. I understand like it impinges on Frodo's personality a little bit more and but but he's Mm -hmm. also like it's not it's not subconscious like he's always consciously thinking about the ring so when you get things from like that kind of third person perspective it's always like kind of a mix of like Frodo's thoughts and like the absent narrator's thoughts or the impersonal narrator's thoughts about the ring but I see what you mean Mm -hmm. yeah but I, I guess like when I think about the series, when I think about the movies, the movies are pretty clear that Aragorn and Frodo are are the protagonists and the heroes, yeah. right? Like they are, mm-hmm. they are the main characters. But the books are not written that way at all. It, like we really see Aragorn and Frodo through the eyes of their peers, um, and specifically these other three hobbits. And I think like that that kind of gets robbed from us in in the movie representation. Yeah. Is part of your point that like Sam is or or that like Frodo is sort of a protagonist but in this very like impersonal way because he's like a hero whereas Sam is maybe the protagonist in the sense that he is the most important like human like fully human character that we get whose purpose is not just to kind of be like a shell for like um physical metaphysical forces. Yeah, I mean what what's the definition of a protagonist? The dude. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you're right, though. Like, we have to separate out what's a, like, who's the protagonist of the story and who's the, like, the hero of the story, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think more often than not, like, protagonist is basically the the leading character or one of the major, like, or main characters. And (laughs) thank you for reading the definition that I'm also looking at. (laughs) Yeah, right? <laughs> like, I'm going to, absolutely, I'm going to Google it just to give you, like, an actual definition. Yeah. But it's like, okay, well, even if they aren't necessarily, like, the primary actors, like, Mary and Pippin are arguably leading characters in this story just because they are so present and it's their framework that we get so much of the narrative through. Mm-hmm. Right. And like in that same way, it's like, well, Sam is kind of the he's not necessarily the hero of that whole gang. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's Frodo's story, but it's Frodo's story through Sam's eyes. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. I should distinguish between hero versus like main character. Yeah. Yeah. But I think Sam is the main character of this this section. I like that distinction. Like Mm -hmm. protagonist slash hero versus main character. Yeah. Yeah, because they're definitely different roles. And it's interesting, too, because something you said, Navia, in your notes that I really liked and I didn't even think about until I read your notes was how differently Frodo and Sam interact when Gollum isn't there. Yeah, speaking of main characters. Yeah. um, (laughs) Gollum. Yeah, the, the absence of Gollum in this chapter is like, it was very noticeable to me, at least, especially when Frodo and Sam reunite, because it's like, kind of it goes back to the type of interaction that they used to have before Gollum came into the picture right where it was like a very straightforward like I am happy to see you and yes there was that like moment of tension with Sam giving the ring Mm -hmm. back which obvious but the the quickness with which that was resolved and with which Frodo was like ah never mind sorry 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 uh (laughs) and and like they, they he's like thrilled to have his you know I was going to say best friend, but let's say lover. Uh- <laughs> primary partner. But, yeah, yeah. It's primary his, yeah. partner. It's his primary. It's, it's so cute. But it's also, like, much more equal, yeah. right? Like, the relationship feels way more equal when Gollum's not in the picture. Like, right. yes, obviously, Sam is still Frodo's gardener. But when he says, like, look, I'm going to do this. Like, you stay here, and I, I'm going to take care of this part. Or, like, this is what I think. He's allowed to make some decisions, and Frodo is absolutely willing to go along with it, and we don't see that happen when it's all three of them. Yeah. Sam basically doesn't get to make decisions. Yeah, you could imagine if Gollum was present in this chapter that a lot of Sam's thoughts would be regarding Gollum and how he hates him. Yeah. And uh, you could also imagine that if he was there when they're reuniting, that he would be manipulating that situation that happened with the ring to make Frodo hate Sam again. The thing that's interesting is that when you see them interact in this way, you realize, like, this was what they knew was going to happen all along, right? Like, as soon as the ring began to take any kind of toll on Frodo, you realize, okay, they're the closer they get to Mount Doom, the more of a problem this is going to be. Like, the more uh, incapacitated mm-hmm. he's going to be because of the ring. And so it's sort of assumed the whole way there that Sam is going to like take on more and more responsibility. And so this is not just like a thing that happens incidentally, like Sam planning things because, you know, Frodo just happens to be naked and covered in welts. <laughs> it's also that this is like just their relationship and what has been going on you know, to some degree the whole time. Do you think they knew though? Like, do you think they really anticipated how much, Frodo would be increasingly, like, influenced by and kind of under the sway of the ring. Well, obviously Frodo didn't know because he was about to go off by himself. Right. Like, I don't know that Mm. they anticipated it escalating this much. Mm. I think we knew it was going to. You think that it was kind of a shocker, like, as they got as they got really close. Yeah, I mean, like, certainly some of Frodo's behavior. And one of the things I noticed in this chapter was we get to see again, like, Oh, right. This is what the ring does in its first stages of getting its hooks into somebody is it promises them the things that they're dreaming about. Right. Sam sees himself as a hero and then being able to restore 
like the fields and the the flowers and the plants that was and all freaking that. adorable <laughs> it was really cute i'm like oh sam like you really are you're all about like healing and fixing things um i love that appreciate that but there's kind of that reminder of like oh yeah it starts out really kind of this subtle here's all the ways you could make things better but I'm thinking about Frodo and Gollum and the way that Frodo was so like sharp and aggressive and cold with Gollum. And it's like, well, that's not like that's further along the process. Yeah. Right. Or like the paranoia that he's having now, that's much further along the process of being influenced. And presumably if he knew that that was going to happen, I mean, honestly, if they knew that was going to happen having multiple ring bearers and even setting it out very explicitly of like, no, 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 y'all got to trade off and that's dangerous, but maybe with two people who really love and trust each other, you can make it work. But that way you're sharing the like psychological burden of the ring. Yeah. But it's also introducing more points of failure, right? Like each of those people now can have a moment of weakness. Yeah. But I mean, it happens anyways, right? Like we know that True. Frodo's going to have a moment of weakness, like a critical moment of weakness anyways. And kind of with like, like with all the orcs just happening to murder each other before Sam walks into the tower, <laughs> it's mostly luck that it works out okay. Well, I think like there are like elements of both inequality in their relationship that are built in like frodo truly is sam's master and also choice Mm -hmm. like sam chooses to go with frodo um and frodo chooses to like continue retaining him and then so i guess you could see this instead as like as opposed to what i said a couple minutes ago like it i don't know i still think i was right but like the um like they get into this situation and frodo is really incapacitated and they seamlessly kind of move into the situation where like the servant becomes the the equal right because that's just by necessity what has to happen i I was just i was thinking about how it's interesting with the point that you're making of like you know did they know that this was going to happen that you know that they would need to share this burden when they got closer to mordor i actually think it's kind of interesting that when they were at the council of elrond and when you know gandalf was making this plan and everything they thought a lot about the like the protection factor right like we need this many people to protect frodo in order to get him to mordor Mm -hmm. but there was like very little discussion about the emotional burden and what it actually means to carry the ring for that amount of time and it yeah like that's actually very interestingly missing because it's not that gandalf doesn't know right that it's gonna start to have a a cost and it started to take a toll on him but he do- he doesn't address that in the plan no it's true gandalf arguably more than most people because i think he knew a little bit about what happened to gollum right it's kind of implied that he knows a little bit about what happened to gollum and that the ring basically corrupted him more and more over time mm-hmm. so that does kind of, i mean maybe he was like well it's been a hundred years for gollum but I don't know. Gollum is the real hero of the story, just like sitting on the ring in his little cave for a hundred years. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Where where is Gollum at this point in the in the story? He's been like flung off of a cliff, right, by Sam. Mm, okay, what? what Between a rock and a hard yeah. place somewhere. <laughs> like they were like fighting, and she loves Lair, and Sam kind of just like throws him over like the edge of something. No, that's definitely not because. He abandons them, I thought, in She Loves Lair. Yeah, but then he comes back to get the ring and Sam, like, fights him. Yeah, he pops out. Oh, God, I have no memory of this. Okay, sure, I believe you. I believe you both, I promise. I just, like, straight up do not remember that. Tom's like, I'm back. He doesn't die because obviously he's going to, like, come lumbering up this mountain in a second. (laughs) Well, I'm just picturing Sam yeeting him (laughs) off a cliff now and I'm like... Wow, that was not what I got from re- like. But I guess I was more focused on Sam, like Sam dealing with his grief of thinking he'd lost Frodo, and I wasn't paying attention to whatever the fuck happened to Gollum. Obviously, I would read a supercut of only the Gollum parts of Lord of the Rings, <laughs> and or watch Tolkien do the things Stephanie Meyer did and rewrite Lord of the Rings from Gollum's perspective only. Oh <laughs> uh, actually, it sounds amazing it's just titled the precious but i would like i I guess i disagree though about the council of elrond because 
Gandalf like mysteriously lobbies for Merry and Pippin to join the fellowship. And I feel like the only reason that he does that is because he's like, ah, like goes with Lake and like, we, you know, can't, can't hurt to have a couple more of Frodo's buddies. But mm-hmm. also like to your point, like he then over like the next book or so, every once in a while, like Merry or Pippin will like do something stupid and Gandalf will be like, I never should have brought you guys. Or then like Merry and Pippin will do something smart and Gandalf will be like, finally, you're proving your worth. So like, if that was ever part of the equation, Gandalf forgets about that post haste. Yeah. Also, uh, quick correction. Uh, you are right. Gollum did not get yeeted off a cliff. He just ran away. Okay, good. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, I really don't remember this. We just both have movie brain. I mean, Sam does fight him, but he just like he freaks out and runs away because Sam is like about to kill him. This makes okay, me really good. sad sometimes when I have like the movies just interwoven with the books in my brain. Yeah. Okay, yeah. sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, that's totally fine. Thank you for clarifying that. I appreciate that. Um, what I was going to say, though, Wanda, about your point is at the time that Gandalf is now being like critical or approving of Merry and Pippin, they are not serving their role as Frodo's emotional mm. support cousins anymore because Frodo and Sam have fucked off into the wilderness, right? But at the same time, I also kind of agree that he did encourage Sam to stick with Frodo, Right? Like that don't you leave him Samwise Gamgee is Yeah. Is canon in both the books and the movies. Right. But I think the the idea of bringing the other hobbits along had a lot more to do with the strategy of confusing Sauron. Like I don't think Gandalf was thinking about like what Frodo would need. I think he was thinking about like, oh well, if we have a bunch of hobbits, then we can like use them to confuse Sauron into not knowing which one has the ring. Mm, I'm sorry if Bait. if my if my theory that Aragorn's secretly a political uh, mastermind does not pass muster, <laughs> then uh, we can't we can't uh, admit that theory that you just put forward in this podcast, not in the text. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean it, that's what happens, right? With the Palantir, with Pippin, like seeing Sauron in it and mm-hmm. Sauron thinking that he has the ring and now they're at this gate. Sure, and... it's what plays out, but it's not... You don't it... think Gandalf had that amount of foresight? <laughs> he, Gandalf's, Gandalf's uh, really only average smart. By today's standards, <laughs> probably not that intelligent. I kind of have to agree with Wanda on that one. <laughs> All right. Just because I got a dunk on Gandalf. No, I mean, I do think like it did work out that way, that using them as distractions, like... At the point where he's going, oh, okay, well, actually, if we do split the hobbits up now, that might be a distraction. Like, I think you're right that in the moment, he's certainly thinking about that as an advantage at or around the time that it happens. I don't know that at the council he was necessarily pulling for that because he basically, it wasn't his idea that they came along, right? right? It was their idea that they came along and he was like, fine whatever they're not going to do any harm bringing sam was his idea like sam was going to go with frodo from the beginning well actually i think even sam wasn't sam his own idea like sam volunteered himself Mm. i I think gandalf like he i mean when they were going to rivendell he like tasked sam with coming with him to rivendell for sure yes and then after that I, I have to go back and find it. I don't remember. I'm going to look now because I'm actually, I don't, yeah, I don't remember either who makes that decision about should Sam come along. This episode's great. We're just like, we don't know anything. Nobody knows. <laughs> this is just a fact checking episode. <laughs> like, we're going to Google shit. We're going to look up definitions. <laughs> it's easier than talking about all the fucking stairs. <laughs> I mean, and, like, this is absolutely classic Tolkien where he's like, a huge battle happened here. You don't get to see any of it. Right. Like, everybody is dead before we show up. What kind of a name is Shagrat, anyway? Oh, y'all. It's Elrond. Oh, okay. The adult in the room. Because, basically, Frodo goes, I'll take the ring, and Sam pops up from like where he's been sitting in the corner and is like, you won't send him off alone. And Elrond is like, no, you'll go with him. Nice. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. Yes. I'm willing to credit Elrond with the intelligence and the foresight of sending Sam along with Frodo. But that's actually interesting. I mean, how did Elrond get that smart? If you want to find out, you're going to have to watch <laughs> the Amazon the Prime series, The Rings of Power. <laughs> Feel free to sponsor us. 
Also, you you just asked what kind of a name is Shagrat, and so I wanted to read some of the other orc names from this chapter because they're really right. good. <laughs> All right, so we got Shagrat and Gorbag, our best bros, and then we got mm-hmm. Snaga, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then we have Radbug, Lagnoof, Rad and Musgash. Bug. Oh my god, it's like he's such a bad racist. <laughs> I mean, at this point, I'm just like, I don't even, what is happening, right? Like, an orc literally tripped through a trap door and, like, <laughs> broke his neck at this one like point some, in this chapter. Like, this chapter is kind of like some Laurel and Hardy shit. <laughs> Like Sam's running around some stairs and orcs are just like falling. Yeah, it's a big mulligan. You can just imagine the the music playing in the background. Yeah, and there's that also that scene where like the orc confronts Sam. It's the first orc that Sam actually runs into, but the orc perceives Sam as like a dark prince because he's carrying Sting and the vial of Galadriel. It's so campy. I think he sees his shadow, right? Right. That was my guess because I was like, oh, there's something here about like seeing him look much larger than he is. So I was like, his shadow question mark? That's definitely how the movies interpret it. Yeah. Yeah, but that's not quite how how this is. It's like actually like the orc just sees something that is not there. Yeah, but and right? it is it is interesting when it's like right after a whole section about how the ring like made Sam look physically bigger for a while. But that isn't currently the case, right? Like he once he makes the decision not to keep it, he like comes back yeah. to his own size. Mm. He also can't. I mean, like he doesn't have it on at the point that he's entering. No, because he's got the file and the sword, but that's what he has out. He, you can only equip two items at once, <laughs> right? And he's got his two. This whole chapter does have that video game aesthetic. You have it moved really into does. Mordor. You are now within Sauron's eye. Lord of the Rings <laughs> as like a point and click adventure. You can deploy two weapons. How do you get past the Watcher? Which weapon will you choose? <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about the Watchers for a second? Um, sure. <laughs> because I also, like Wanda, would like to know how they are powered. <laughs> yeah. Animatronic robot statues that are imbued with the juice of Sauron is oh the answer. I mean, I, on the one hand, I wanted you to say that, but also I really only I brought this up so that you could say juice of Sauron on the podcast. <laughs> That's my theory, though. No, but like, what are they? Are they like gargoyles? Are they like actually creatures? No, they're they're definitely they're made statues. of stone. They're definitely statues, and they have a will that. Sam is able to weaken and break by lifting up the vial of Galadriel. They can scream. But they also form like a physical force field with that will. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, y'all have seen the Phantom Menace, right? Like the the first of the Star Wars prequels. Right. Unfortunately. You know yeah. the like the big climactic <laughs> fight at the end where there's just like blue force fields that are keeping mm. the good guys and the bad guys separate? No, but that's okay. Keep it's going. That. It's that. <laughs> basically magic bullshit right? right we're not going to explain it's magic bullshit i love when i love when tolkien goes off like this it's like oh i'm like gonna for no reason at all like invent like a new type of like perverted evil thing just to like illustrate mm-hmm. how diversified sauron has like he's just been up to a lot doing doing <laughs> a lot of things with his with his juice he's he's also like really concerned about people entering or leaving mordor because there's like eight lines of defense <laughs> Yeah. Let me ask a question, uh, because you guys interpreted this passage about Minas Morgul as basically when it says this is an edifice that was erected by Gondor as a means of keeping Mordor denizens in. Well, out of Gondor. Right, out of Gondor, yeah. Um, and now it's been repurposed by Sauron to keep Mordor denizens in. Did you guys mean, yeah. or, like, I guess I thought, I, I took that to mean, like, okay, he's got his political prisoners, and he's going to keep them in here. But I feel like at least one of you took it to mean, like, this is just, Sauron has acknowledged that a lot of people want to leave Mordor. That Mordor and this sucks. Is, <laughs> yeah, and he's like, he uses Kirithungal as a place to, or M- Minas Morgul? Fuck. Which one is it? Yeah, Minas Morgul. It's... It- this one's Minas Morgul. Kirith Ungol is the passive the passage. spider. Yeah, sorry. Oops. Um, Minas Morgul. He uses Minas Morgul. Those things, though. What? 
It's it's Minas something. It's a tower. Yeah. There's a lot no, of stairs. The, the Towers of the Teeth. No, no, no. That was previously. The Towers of the Teeth, there's two And of we're them. back. That was something else. <laughs> no, but anyways, to answer your the to answer the meat of your question, Wanda. Yes. Yeah, I definitely interpreted that as this is less about I mean, it is about maintaining a defense against the outside, but it is also about there are I mean, we see it. We've seen it already. There's a lot of dissatisfaction among the orcs. It is Kira Thungal for the record. Sorry, I'm just no, that's like, the one thing it annoying. can't be. <laughs> no, it's no, not Kira Thungal. Kira Thungal <laughs> is the pass of the spider. We know this. We've established this. We've joked about no, it. Like... It's the tower of Kira Thungal. Oh. I'm reading this. Like, there's a fucking tower yeah. of Kira Thungal? Sam stood aghast. Son of a bitch. His left, he could see the tower of Kira Thungal it. in all its strength. The, t- the chapter is called what? Tower of Kira Thungal. What do you mean? God damn. <laughs> God. Why? Oh, God. I think we just I have to end it there. This. You're just like, that's the, cha- that's the end of the episode. <laughs> Goodbye. No, damn it. I'm answering your question. Yes, I think it's about like orc dissatisfaction and the fact that they would absolutely bail to go mm. do something else. Like, not even so much, oh, we would just like, leave mortar to do whatever but like i really get the sense we've met several orcs that are not happy about their jobs they're not happy about how much money they're making mm-hmm. they're annoyed about the rate of promotion like right they would absolutely be on the middle earth equivalent of indeed like putting their resume out there if they had the choice and I don't think Sauron wants them to have the choice. That's maybe one of the funniest things ever spoken. I want to isolate that clip. Um, <laughs> they absolutely would be on the Middle Earth version, indeed. They had the choice. I um, I like that yeah, interpretation. Right. I, I think I read it more like you did, Wanda, where like he has he's got the orcs, but then he also has some kind of like slaves and prisoners that are like there against yeah. their will, right? Yeah, the whole thing, it seems like the people that, the orcs that live in Mordor exist on a spectrum of don't really want to be there to their slaves. Yeah. Also, I imagine that orcs are not the only beings in Mordor, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's yeah. probably some some men of the East and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What I thought was really interesting about that, though, is that, like, the the orcs, it explains their behavior when you realize that everyone is, everyone that lives in Mordor is kind of being, like, low-key forced to remain there mm-hmm. the radical self-centeredness of all the orcs and the fact that they slaughter each other because they all want the mithril coat it's clear that there is no order in mordor except what's imposed on the bordor there's no order yeah <laughs> sorry had to be done by like by virtue of like yeah sheer sheer dungeon dungeon law and order is like what prevails now i want a law and order law and order <laughs> <laughs> I meant to say something deep about how, like, this is the kind of temperament that, uh, like, a prison environment creates in people, but... But what we got was the Dr. Seuss we're, joke. We're not ready for that in this episode. <laughs> yeah, I guess we're just not ready for that conversation. Well, it, no, and it's, it is very true that the environment is... I mean, even just, like, the fact that they all turn on each other, right? It's like, well, why are you... Turning, uh, you're turning on each other because you don't feel like you have other options right. to have any sort of advancement or like to have any sort of better life. You basically have to cannibalize the people around you mm. who are also grunts, who are also like gristle for the mill, right? And it's not grist for the mill, gristle for the mill. I don't know what the saying is. It's I've committed grist. to probably the wrong. It's grist, whatever. I put an Ellie at the end. Um, uh, God, today's this is gonna be such a nightmare to f- just don't edit it. Just put it out like this. Yeah, <laughs> just I was gonna say the same thing. Fifty minutes of uncut chaos. I might honestly. Uh, the only thing I might cut is like the twenty seconds of silence when we're googling. <laughs> I think that was funny. <laughs> I might stay in. My point being, the. Violence that happens, I think, is a good thematic thing. The way that violence is presented is kind of goofy. Like, Sam just walking in and everybody's dead doesn't feel as dramatic as it feels a little silly. Yeah. 
Yeah, it does feel silly. And sort of like an anti this weird anticlimactic and mm-hmm. after reading for like three books about how all powerful and super organized, for lack of a better word, Sauron is. It's like you walk in, he successfully captured one member of the fellowship, and it has destroyed the like order in the tar- Tower of Kirithungal. Right. Without anybody doing anything. Yeah. I think it's funny that like the orcs are supposed to be really intimidating, but every time we see them in any of the books, they're just like hilarious. Like they're just, they're just really goofy. Yeah, they're just like saying stuff to each other. Yeah. They just have like a bunch of office politics going on all the time and like I, I don't know, this is not this is not a well-constructed villain. <laughs> like I'm not intimidated no. by them. Well, maybe you're not supposed to be. Like, maybe that's the... I actually think, yeah, that's kind of, like, kind of the point is that, like, Sauron is intimidating, but is not able to, like, create anything except these, like, weird perversions of men that go around to do all, all the things that men do. <laughs> the real villain was capitalist bureaucracy all along. There's that whole book about that, I think. Mm-hmm. I've said it before, and I will say it again, though. Like, the orcs are silly, but they also still feel... Like, in some ways, the most relatable characters. Yeah. Right? Like, their decisions and their way of thinking about things and the way that, like, when they're pushed, they're really just like, you know, I don't want to believe the worst of humanity, but in some ways, I'm like, yeah, there's there's a lot of orcs out there in the human world. Hmm. Like, there's a lot of ways in which we're very orcish and... I don't actually see that as much. Like, I look at people like Denethor, and I'm like, God, I hope we're not like that. Like, I definitely relate more to the general orc characters more often than I relate to the general human characters. Which one yeah. do you relate to? Is it Gorbag or Lube Doof or <laughs> Radbug? No, it's the clumsy one. It's the clumsy one who breaks his neck falling out of a trapdoor because God knows that would be me. <laughs> I think that might be Snubba. Snaga? Snoofa? Snabba? Yabadabadoo. <laughs> George. Oh, we've we are off the rails and into the desert. Speaking of which, okay, one last thing. Well, actually, do we want to do quick fire? Do we have quick fire? I, I think you have quick fire. Oh, I don't have anything. But that's fine. I can come up with something. Okay. Navia, what's your quick fire? Uh my quick fire is that I was thinking about in this chapter how we are supposed to see this like mega betrayal by Gollum of like taking them to Shelob's lair, but the reality is, I think that's probably the only way they could have ever gotten into Mordor, because we see in this chapter that there are a bunch of, like, security measures that Sauron has put yeah. in place, and Shelob is actually supposed to be one of those security measures, um, but they kind of sneak through, and I was thinking about how one of the, I feel like one of the points that Tolkien is trying to make repeatedly is that choices like choices that characters make or that like people make they might be good or bad in the moment right like we could and we can assess it as a good choice or a bad choice but what happens after that choice doesn't necessarily like i don't how do how do i want to say this like doesn't necessarily match like the value objective value of the decision yeah yeah i guess so like you could imagine that like we were talking about Mary and Pippin deciding to come on this trip, right? Mm-hmm. At the time, it's like a throwaway choice of just like, yeah, sure, I guess you can go with them. But it ends up being a super important key plot point mm-hmm. of like they are going to use the fact that there are more hobbits to confuse Sauron. So yeah, I guess like the value of the choice is not necessarily tied to like how it was made in the moment or like whether it was a good choice mm-hmm. or a bad choice. Do you think that the book is trying to send a message about that? Or do you think that's just like how things work in the story? I think that there's kind of a deliberate message about it. I, I, I think maybe the message is just that like, you can't plan like, because you just de- never know what's going to happen as a result of a choice that you make. Yeah. I don't think there's any, any inherent message about like the value of, of certain choices versus others. But I do think that there is something there about like, no matter what you do, like, you don't know how it's going to pan out. Yeah. 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 I like that interpretation, actually. And I would say that's also kind of supported textually. Like, there have been multiple instances where 
really small decisions made by minor characters have huge impacts that we see really immediately too, right? So it's not even, oh, you have to be paying attention across three books. It's like, no, we see decisions made by small characters in a single chapter where like that decision seems really inconsequential, but it actually has a really big positive or negative impact. So I think you're totally onto something there about like, we don't always know how our choices are going to turn out. And in fact, we often or almost always aren't going to know like all of the ripple effects of a given choice you could just kind of do the best that you can yeah 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 and whereas like the the book is this kind of contained thing where like once you read it you know how everything turns out but like it's also sending a message just about life and like you just you have to like live from day to day knowing that there is like a certain quantity of unknown god navia we should have ended with yours that was a really good quick you can edit it to be the last one (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm lazy. Um, Wanda, are you still thinking? I just don't have one. Okay. Mine was that it is, as somebody who lives in a place that is warm, oh my god, when Frodo and Sam set out and they're like, we'll just have to make do without any water, I was horrified. And also, like, that really, to me, seems like the kind of thing where... It's going to come back to bite them because I feel like Tolkien would have been in enough situations where it's like clean water and edible food are not necessarily guarantees. Counterpoint, it's probably going to take them about five hours to get to Mount Doom at the rate that they've been going for the entire book. (laughs) (laughs) They just speed hike up a mountain. How long could it possibly take under this kind of teleology? It's a single banana, Michael. What could it cost? Ten (laughs) dollars. I mean, that's true. If they can do 40 miles in a night, like... In the dark in Moria. (laughs) Yeah. Who the fuck knows? Um, But no, that's the sort of thing where I'm like, I will be curious. Because it's such a little thing, but I am really curious to see if that comes back as, like... Yeah. No, actually, they that was a fuck up. Because neither of them are trained soldiers, but I don't think any character in the book who's a trained soldier would be like, oh yeah, let's set off on a march across hostile territory with like half a bottle of water between the two of us. Okay, you need to keep an eye on that for the next couple chapters so that we can I do Tolkien accountable. If nothing else, that's what you can rely on from this podcast is we definitely keep Tolkien accountable. Thanks for listening to One Does Not Simply. This episode was edited by Ashani. As always, you can find us on Twitter at ODNSPod and on Tumblr at One Does Not Simply Pod. Special thanks to Andrew, Sneha, and to all of our listeners for joining us on this journey. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating or a review on whatever platform you listen to. There it is. That's the end. (laughs) That's the end. Yep. Okay. Hey, what do we want to call this episode that was fucking insane? (laughs) So one in.